Okay, good morning everyone. It's great to be back with another OB podcast. We're here on the 24th of February um, 2023 and this instalment we have India Sims who is a Bryantstonian, old Bryantstonian, who graduated actually just a tiny little bit before um, I arrived here at school in 2018. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. Perfect. Well, it's great to have you here, India, and you've got such a phenomenal story to share. Obviously, you're only really young, but you've got um, a super exciting Ocean Globe race coming up that we'll hopefully dive a little bit into. Um, But yeah, just talk to us a little bit about, you know, kind of coming here. What's it like? You know, how far do you travel? Um, yeah, what's it like to yeah. be here today? So my time at Bryanston started in 2013 and I was at Greenleaves. I did the full five years and then left in 2018. Um, whilst I was here, I was actually I was a music scholar. So a lot of my time was spent in this very building. Um, but I also did rowing as well. So I was down on the river a lot as well. Just tried to get stuck in with as much as possible, I think. Um, kept a busy schedule. Uh, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. No, that's good. I think definitely quite a lot of Bryanstonians here today are doing kind of similar to what you are. Yeah. That they're kind of keeping busy, but that's a lot great. can kind of take your advice a little bit and maybe get a little bit more busy, which is really, really cool. Um, so in terms of coming here today, have you travelled far? Have you? Um, no, not too far. I'm actually um, in the New Forest, uh, so just about an hour. Um, and yeah, so it's a lovely area. I never, although obviously I was boarding whilst I was here, um, I was still home sort of every two, three weeks. It was quite a nice combination. Um, wasn't too far from home. Definitely, which is quite nice. Yes. And um, cool. So when you joined here in Bryanston in 2013, were yeah. you, what, what were your kind of emotions? Were you quite nervous? Were you excited? Just kind of talk to us about yeah. how you were feeling at 13 years old. Yeah, I was, well, I was extremely excited. Um, I had done a couple of years of boarding at my school prior to that so that actually really helped with obviously the homesickness I wasn't too worried about being away from home as such um so and I have very supportive parents that I knew uh would come to sort of concerts and sports matches so although I was away from obviously sleeping at home as such I still had quite a bit of uh, involvement with family um coming and supporting me um so I think I was just extremely excited to get involved, but use all the facilities, really. It's some really incredible facilities here. Um, so, yeah, just excited to make the most of things. That's really cool. And you were here yeah. for the whole five years, which yes, is really cool. Yes, I was. Um, so kind of as a snapshot of 2013, what was yeah. it kind of, what was Bryanston like? Can you kind of describe what's changed maybe from kind of yeah. coming back today? What, what did it feel like? Yeah, well, a lot is still fairly similar. Obviously, mm. this is a very new uh, thing. The, um, I think the music school was starting to, we were still in the old music school when I first started, mm. but that was only for about a year. And then, um, and then the work was being put into the new music school and, um, and the old music school was turned into more of a film, uh, film department. I'm not sure mm. if that's yeah, still, right, yeah, still the case. yeah, definitely. yeah. Um, so actually I got more involved latterly. I got more involved with, uh, the film department um and instead of doing the a levels i did the ib program um and did a lot of film actually um it's one of my subjects so um there is a lot of similarities i haven't really had a chance to look around just yet um but no it's nice to it's nice to be back and see how everything's going yeah Yeah. of course of course so um i mean ib i mean it's it's a hugely kind of um diverse course what kind of made you choose that over the standard traditional a-level route um well at the time 
I well, firstly, the um, the school didn't offer film as an A level, but I think they do do that now, or they introduced it. Might have been very briefly after um, after I chose my um, to do IB. Um, but I wasn't, I didn't think I was quite ready to narrow down my subjects to just those uh, three or four A-levels. So the IB programme for me really was a great opportunity to keep all all plates spinning, do a bit of obviously your maths and your language and English. And um, it was a great variety of things. And as well as doing the academics, you have the creativity, activity and service combined. So um Although I decided to do the, I did the Duke of Edinburgh Award Programme as well. Um, that programme wasn't too much extra work for me because the IB programme really incorporates that and um, you end up doing that in your day-to-day school life anyway. So, yeah. Oh, 100%. No, agreed. Um, no, it's a great kind of scheme to get involved. I'm doing it myself, actually. It's oh, really, are you? Really cool. Brilliant. Yeah, it That's is. Great. It's great to kind of get involved and kind of get involved with the community especially, yeah. um, which there seems to be a huge emphasis on. Yeah. Um, so you were in Greenleaves, I believe. Yes, so, I was. Um, I mean, I guess you didn't have the experience of being in any other house, but what no. was the kind of Greenleaves experience? At, yeah, I mean, at the time, I it was it was great. We were it's like having a little family or a big family, an extended family uh, outside your family back home, um, and I'm still extremely close with a lot of the girls that I was in house with, um, and in a way, I think COVID actually brought quite a few people together because although we couldn't see each other. Uh, we got the regular sort of Zoom sessions going and we'd do quizzes each week and someone would make a new quiz and quite often we'd do it about other people and find out information of other people in the friend group, which was quite fun. Um, and that brought us really close together, um, having left Bryanston, obviously. Um, but my house at the time, I think we were, I would say a different year group, but they did I think they tried to put quite a few of the scholars in one house. I'm not sure if they still do that now, but um, I found that there were a couple of other music scholars in my house. And I think we had an academic scholar as well. And there were some really sporty people in there as well. So it was really, um, I loved a bit. I really loved being in that house. It was a great house. Talented bunch. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, A lot to look up to. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, and obviously you, I think you, I believe you said you, you rode a little bit here as well, yes. so you had quite a lot of time on the river. Yeah. Obviously that's a water sport, I suppose, but um, obviously you hugely specialise in water sports now, especially yes. sailing. So would you say there's a link between rowing at school and maybe sailing nowadays? Um, I would say maybe the, uh, the fact that I spent a lot of time on the water was definitely... Um, I wouldn't say so much the sailing link there. Um, unfortunately, I don't really row too much now. I've got a rowing machine at home and I try to row as much as possible. But with the sailing at the school, because there is a sailing uh, team, I think, mm, and is, they do yes. sail here, yeah, yes. Yeah. I actually didn't get involved with that at all whilst I was here, um, purely because I was doing other things and rowing um, when I first joined was more of just a, a sport that you do three times a week mm-hmm. as you do with your with the other sports here. And then we had the we had a change of head of rowing and uh, we had Richard Bolton. Um, I'm not sure if he's still he's here. Still here. Yeah, he's still, still here. Still yeah, here. He's still yeah, he's my coach, yeah. Yeah, oh brilliant. And um things ramped up quite dramatically, which uh was great. I really loved that. And it did kind of narrow it down and we did some other interesting things. Um but I couldn't really then get involved with other sailing 
opportunities. For me, um, my sailing at Bryanston really was only um, to do with my Gold Duke of Edinburgh Award. So I, for my expedition for the Gold Award, did a week of sailing around the Solent instead of doing the the walking. Uh, the yeah, walking. yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I, in a way, feel is a bit of a cop out, but uh, only in terms of the physical side of things. We were definitely challenged in other ways yeah. and learned a lot of other skills. Uh, but for me, that was the only sailing I really did at Bryanston. Yeah, yeah totally. Did you, would you say you um, would you say you kind of instantly connected, or over yes. the weeks did you connect absolutely, kind of hugely yeah. with that experience of, yeah. of sailing? I. So I did dinghy sail uh, a lot in my own time over the summers um, whilst I was at home. So I did like dinghy sailing and I had done some yacht sailing when I was a fair bit younger. Uh, but just due to going away to school and uh, other things going on, my yacht sailing kind of stopped. Um, so that gold expedition uh, for the Duke of Edinburgh Award Programme was really what reignited my love for yacht sailing. And... Uh, they really gave us the reins and obviously we were passage planning, we were calling up the different marinas, booking our berth spots and doing all the logistics, organising the food and budgeting and I think it was quite a lot. Obviously they had the skipper and the first mate uh, for the company there but they really gave us control and I really, really enjoyed that. And it's actually, um, that's one of the things that pushed me towards looking into maritime careers um and which is what I'm doing now so taking on other opportunities other challenges that's so cool what would you uh, I mean during that one week uh I mean probably being relatively new I'm not sure did you say it was your first experience of sailing or have you had a little bit of experience um a little bit for yacht sailing I had a little bit of experience but I was a lot younger so I was really just a passenger on board yeah. at that point would see people pulling various colorful ropes and thinking I had no idea what was going on yeah, so um and so yeah for a hands-on the hands-on side of things that was really my first experience yeah sailing. definitely yeah. no I think a, competent, a bit of competent crew in there I think yeah, yeah. it was competent crew yeah, yeah. yeah definitely um, so what would you say was kind of your biggest challenge in that in that week, if you remember? Um, um, so, Yeah, I think it was eye-opening to see how much planning goes into it. It's not just sort of jump on a boat and slip lines and go off and have a great time. A lot of the time, there's a lot more organisation, especially obviously as I was younger, I didn't really see the behind-the-scenes work of figuring out if you've got enough water to get into where you're going and tidal streams and how that's going to affect you and things like fuel allowances, where you're going to get your fuel from, what prices are. And there was a lot that came into that, um, which I just hadn't given any consideration to. Um, So I think maybe the planning and really figuring things out um, was a challenge. And that was... That was probably the most challenging thing, yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. kind of all those extra considerations. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. no, totally. Um, so I believe, um, I, well, it's, it's super exciting, but I think I've got here on the 10th of September, I think. Is there is something pretty important that's happening? Yes. So you might have to talk to us a little bit about something that. Something very important for me. Um, so it's not actually, it was the 10th of September, but it's now the 17th of September. Oh, it's recently changed, yeah, yeah. Um, I am taking part in the Ocean Globe Race 2023, which is a retro race uh, in spirit of the original Whitbread races. It's the 50th anniversary of the uh, original Whitbread race. Uh, 
So it's a 27,000 mile race around the globe and it's being done in a retro style. So no GPS, no um, modern electronics, nothing that we see nowadays in sailing. It's very much professional sailors on very, very expensive yachts with incredible equipment, um, which you have to really know your know your stuff. This is coming back to we're stripping all of that back and going back to our uh, our heritage, the roots of sailing, and doing it old school, doing it looking at the sun and the stars and the planets and figuring out where we're going. So yeah, oh my very exciting. Yeah, that sounds that sounds incredibly exciting. Yeah. I mean, so twenty seven thousand miles. I mean, how, how yeah. long to kind of give us a time scale that you yeah. reckon you'd be really working with from start to finish? Yeah, so it's broken into four different legs and. The um, we're expecting it to take about eight months in total uh, for each leg. <clears throat> for each leg, uh, as soon as the first boat crosses the line at the end of each leg, there'll be a two-week window um, where the other yachts have a time period to see finish that leg, and then they'll do a little bit of maintenance. And then once that two-week period from the first boat crossing line, we'll all set off on the next leg. Obviously. Uh, the bigger boats are going to finish a lot, um, well, I expect will finish a lot sooner than the smaller boats. And I am on a smaller yacht, which does mean that my turnover time will be a little bit shorter, yeah. probably. Yeah. Um, but who knows? We have a we have a really great team. So we could be we could be one of the fastest cross that line first. Line on us, <laughs> fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, so in that during that turnover period, other than um, like you know maintenance, what else would you be expected to do? Is it kind yeah. of is it chill out for kind of well um, that period of time, or is it kind of heavy at work? You well, know, there pieces? will I expect there will be a lot of work to be done. Um, as well as this, it is quite a big PR um, PR thing. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of media uh, relating to this race as such. We've got a big media team um, ashore. Uh, and then as well as on board each yacht, there will be someone in charge of media. And for my yacht, that is me. So I'll be doing some media training. Um, and there's a lot of media that we'll have to pump out of the yacht throughout the race. But then when we're alongside, there will be quite a few news outlets and interviews going on, social media updates. Um, they are planning on making a six to eight part TV series out of it as well as um, an overall documentary. And then I think they're going to try and break up, um, create three different documentaries focusing on the training and the build-up, the race itself, and then the aftermath of the race. So it's quite a big, as it's an anniversary <laughs> event, yeah, they're making quite a big deal out of it, which wow. is exciting. Is yes. this a yearly event? So does this happen kind of like for eight months of every year? Is that um, No, so this is the first um, ever of this, because it's an anniversary mm-hmm. event, um, it's the first one to kind of kick off what could be a new series. And I think they are definitely hoping to, if this is successful, they're hoping to kind of continue the race uh, in the future at, um, at intervals. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, so, totally. so, yeah. So I suppose to some degree you'll be responsible for kind of some of the footage that will be played yes. in, in this series, this documentary. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. So yeah. are you used to filming? Have you did you film here at school a little bit? Yeah. So um, I did. So part of the IB, one of my high level subjects was film. Yeah. So I had a little bit of experience uh, dealing with cameras and obviously script writing, creating a vision, creating a project, and that was a lot, a lot of fun. 
Um, and I actually did consider at the time, I did consider going to university to study film and go down that route and such. But once I left school and I really found my love for sailing, I think that, that tore me away a little bit from that. Um, I do post on social media. I do have a TikTok account, which <laughs> I uh, don't we all. Um, I do post a lot of work related videos and um which is a touchy subject because I, for my work, so I'm in the RFA, the Royal Fleet Auxiliary, work alongside the Royal Navy, uh, with the civilian branch of the Royal Navy. And there's, you're not really supposed to post on social media um, for operational security and personal security. However, there are some things that I do get away with posting. I am allowed to post um, within reason on social media, uh, which has created yeah, a fair, fair amount of attention, which is nice. And um, I've received some praise from the Royal Navy um, for doing that because it does massively help with recruitment things as well. So I do try to get involved in a little bit of film. It's filmmaking on a very small scale, isn't it, <laughs> uh, TikTok? So no, it sounds like you're kind of super versed in that kind of area, which is really cool. So yeah. you, you definitely probably are the right person for this, for yeah, this, kind of, this would, role. Yeah, I'm um, within the team. I'm the designated young person. So each... Each team has to have an under 24 year old. And so for my team, I am that person. Um, so I will be doing a lot of the media, but I will also hopefully be involved in a lot of the navigation as well. Um, yes. Yeah, totally. No, before we kind of get on more kind of into uh, the race a little bit. So yeah. um, after leaving school, um, yeah. how did your sailing career evolve? Would you yeah. say? So, uh, Pretty much within the week, I so IB exams happened quite early. Yeah, there was mid May, yeah. I think, um, as early as that. I was immediately booked onto a dinghy instructor course, so I became qualified as a dinghy sailing instructor. And it was kind of that moment. And I very shortly after that, I did my day skipper qualification as well. And I spent the summer working in the UK sailing, working as an instructor, and then went out to Australia. Uh, to Sydney and was working as an instructor out there and I joined um, an all-female crew actually um, race team out in Sydney and um, was competing out there in yacht racing and then from there I did my I did a transatlantic uh, with the Toolships Youth Trust the same company that I did the uh, the Duke of Edinburgh expedition with uh, which was great and I think when I came back from that I had already decided by that point I was going to pursue sailing a lot more. Uh, but when I came back from that specific transatlantic, it really kind of hit home for me that that's I wanted to do a lot more um, ocean racing. And I think there was a lot more to a, a maritime career than just doing what I was kind of looking to do. So um, and then I went out to America and I worked as a dinghy sailing instructor uh, as well on a camp out there so um i think quite a lot of people do that in their gap year or when they're at university in the summers they go and work on uh, american summer camps yeah. uh, but i went and did that and had an incredible time and then at the end of that um i started training at the britannia royal naval college in dartmouth um starting a cadetship with the royal fleet auxiliary so Goodness i um yeah it really was very um, nautical. So that was my say my gap year after finishing school. It was a very um, maritime heavy 
um, year and I adored it and I can't wait for more to get back out on the water. Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Yeah. Wow. So you, so you left school kind of with the intention of, did you have in the back of your mind you might go to university or, yeah. you know, was it in yeah, it's actually all a... eggs in the basket for... No, it's a funny that? story actually because I, I left school and I was still going to go to university to go and do film and I was looking, I think I was looking at Edinburgh at the time um, and Bristol and... Um, and it was great. I did enjoy going around and talking to people. Um, but Bryanson actually were really good at, obviously, they do kind of push you towards university a little bit. But they also were saying that it's not it's not that important. There are other options. If you wanted to explore other options, university isn't the be all and end all. Yeah. So I did have that in the back of my mind. So as soon as I left Bryanson and I was doing a lot more sailing and I knew of other people that were exploring other options uh, in the sailing world. Um, my parents had gone away on holiday actually for a few weeks and I was at home working as an instructor and it really kind of hit home that I just didn't really want to go to university. I wanted to explore something else. I texted my mum saying, mum, I'm not going to university. That was it. Nothing, no follow-up and I think I was expecting her to kick off a little bit more than she did, but she was actually very understanding and I think she also knew that maybe it wasn't best for me and there were other options out there. So um, we both were doing our research, looking into other um, other career options. And um, so we found the cadetship for me. I did a cadetship, which is very similar to an apprenticeship right. uh, for a company. Um, but in the maritime sector, you have... Um, apprenticeships and then cadetships so apprenticeships you'd be um is more for like able ratings or um it's like motormen engineers doing there's a rank structure was basically what right. i'm saying so the cadetship is going down the officer route and so i took a cadetship and, and started my training doing that yeah, yeah yeah no totally so right no that's amazing so um leaving school did you were you would it bright well i suppose at the time were bryson able to kind of set you up with um possible contacts that could be useful in that in that kind of area think, of expertise or um you, how else did you find them if not? yeah i think bryson could have helped a lot had i had i asked for that help but i actually didn't um i didn't ask bryson for anything i think um it was my mum who specifically found the royal fleet auxiliary and found the job role so the job being a debt cadet, my qualification now, because it, it took me three years and then actually four weeks ago today, I did my final big exam and passed. Oh, so I am now oh, a deck officer. Thank you very much. Um, so the qualification that I have is fleet wide. It's a merchant Navy qualification. So I could go to any ship, cruise ship, container ship, ferries, anything and be qualified to drive them at ships of any size. Um, however, I, my company specifically is the Royal Fleet Auxiliary. So my mum obviously found the cadetship, but she more specifically found the company and thought that actually this work is very interesting. It's a really unique environment in that with a lot of other navies around the world, my company is actually formed with that navy as a part of that navy. So you're not a civilian anymore, whereas I'm still a civilian. I've still got a merchant navy qualification I can go anywhere and do anything which just really keeps all the doors open as uh, should I want to go anywhere else down the line um so yeah well um, gosh so all the doors are still open which is really really yeah cool. yeah it's uh there's a lot of other opportunities and a lot of 
career development. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm only really just starting out now. Yeah, but um, and my job specifically on board is to drive the ship. Um, I'll be an officer of the watch. And if I was in the Merchant Navy, uh, there's other cargo work that I'd be doing um, and just monitoring things a lot of the time. And whereas with the Royal Fleet Auxiliary, a lot of our operations are involving the Royal Navy. We're um, replenishing them at sea, refueling them, doing flying operations. Um, we still have to do the operational sea training, which is like your war training uh, for a month, which is uh, a lot of hard work, yeah, we'll say. It yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're still doing your your core job, uh, driving the ship for eight hours a day. But outside of that, you've got uh, all sorts of exercises with submarines and with uh, jets, the RAF jets pretending to be missiles coming at you, and there's they really do push you, and it, but it's a lot of fun. It's very rewarding. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Gosh, I guess hard work reaps, you know, high rewards in a way, which yeah. is quite cool. Which yeah, is really nice. And obviously, you progress and eventually, perhaps, be driving, uh, be in charge of the ship, be in command, be a captain. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> wow, um, that's well, it's crazy. I find that it's it's so cool, especially you know, you're you know, an incredibly young age to be able to drive. I mean, a ship any size. Yeah. So just for context, what what's the kind of largest ship that you've, um, I guess not hugely part of your company, but like the largest ship that you've been able to drive? Um. So for me, I've only been within my company. Mm-hmm. So I think the maximum, uh, the biggest ship that I've driven is about 200, just under 201 meters long. Um, sounds very long. Which, <laughs> yeah, it does sound quite big, but then you see us, we'll be alongside and there'll be a cruise ship on the other side of the jetty and you think, wow, that is really? huge. Yeah. Um, and obviously, um, but the nature of the work's very different. Um, so if I wanted to go and do that, there are uh, bulk carriers are pretty big, mm-hmm. container ships of uh, 400 meters yeah. long, which wow. is huge, Wow. huge. Um but I'm quite happy where I am at the moment with my company. So um, I don't think we have, there's no intentions to go any bigger on shipbuilding. On shipbuilding. We do have ships in the pipeline that will be built very soon um, to replace some ships that have just gone out of service. Yeah. Uh, but they'll still be roughly around 200 meters long. Yeah, a bit shorter. It sounds, yeah. it sounds very long to be honest. I mean, yeah. I've only been. Um, I did my kind of DV as well uh, with tall ships. Actually, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> that that's a amazing. A lot of people say it, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and that was. Oh, it was like maybe like 60 feet long, and <laughs> yeah, like 200 meters does sound really, really huge yeah. in comparison. Um, it's yeah. really, really cool. Um, I find it crazy. You, you know, you were able to go to Australia, Sydney, and was it a, a racing team that you were part of? Yes. Yeah, so, um, well, for Sydney, I went out there. I didn't actually really know anyone. I had my godmother out there who uh, let me stay for a couple of weeks, but I was going out there to get a job and go and find somewhere to live uh, temporarily. Uh, but I landed uh, in the evening and then the next day I was straight down to the yacht club to see see what was going on and someone uh, needed someone to race for them on the that evening. So I jumped on with their crew and then ended up getting on really well with them and we actually won our pre-series and post-series uh, races, So, which was quite unique considering we were, well, we're an all-female team. I'm not saying anything about that, but I think we got a lot of judgment as such because we were the only female team yeah, right. um so it's quite nice to be making waves out there yeah, yeah it shows, it, I, I think it's so impressive that both you know you 
were both a female team and you just arrived in the country and yeah you've yeah me. you've only been there you know 48 hours which is really really cool um but what kind of set of skills would you say you you took from that experience you know kind of landing in in sydney and yeah. kind of being a part you know being on the completely opposite side of the world and yeah you know going to winning something and well within <laughs> within a few days yeah well so um i knew i really loved travel i'd tried to do a fair amount of travel. I knew I wanted to do as much travel as possible in my gap year. I definitely didn't think I'd considered the fact that uh, going out to Australia, great, it's on the other side of the world, but obviously there's a time difference, Huge. which <laughs> is fine, uh, except obviously not knowing anyone out there um, meant that it was quite difficult. Obviously, I'd text, need to text my parents about... Um, paperwork or some sort of admin thing and then I wouldn't hear for ages and then by the time they're awake it's the end of the working day for me and then I can't sort it out until the next day or busy trying to sort things out by myself so there was so I had all of my UK qualifications for teaching at the dinghy sailing my powerboat qualifications and everything but I then had to transfer them over to the Australian qualifications get my Australian boat license set up my Australian bank account and um sort out insurance for working at a new job out there so there was a lot that was quite new to me which I hadn't thought about which I was figuring out by myself but it was a great learning great learning experience um definitely to know that I could do that um figured it out got there in the end was it all by yourself as well uh pretty much yeah 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 you went out there and kind of came back yeah and I met some incredible people I had the best time I was really upset to leave actually but at the same time I had other things planned so it wasn't too bad but I was very sad to leave I will be back (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so how long were you out there in general so kind of following your you know your your kind of um, pre and post series wins what kind of followed from there yeah so um so the series would happen sort of every Thursday night so um doing that that was over several weeks actually and then uh, I was there I wasn't there for that long because I did some traveling in South America before I went out there um so I sort of worked here in the summer then went out to South America spent my money and then uh needed another job so went to Australia to do that um so I was only there for about three months but then went over to the U.S. and sailed um, a yacht from the U.S. back to the U.K. Um, so yeah I wasn't I wasn't there for a super long amount of time I was just there on a working holiday visa. Um, so just, was it kind of to um both kind of gain experience and to also get a little bit yeah. of money at the same time? Yeah absolutely. Did it yeah. serve both of those purposes quite it well? It did <laughs> it did actually um I was I, I was trying to work as much as possible. I really loved the job that I was doing and I really loved the training center I was working at. So I was trying, doing sort of six, six day weeks um, as best possible. And all the, all the guys and girls that were there were all my best, became my best mates when I was there. So it didn't, it really didn't feel like work. We we're just on the water all the time. We're just doing a lot of kids camps as well as actually teaching private lessons um, and our YA courses. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and we just had a great time. So, yeah. yeah, of course. And now that you've kind of been to so many different parts of the world, I mean, South America, the US, you know, Australia, and obviously your 27,000 mile race. Yeah. Um, how, where would you say, uh, are all areas pretty similar to sailing or is, is one area particularly nicer than the other from um, your favourite place? Yeah, it's very, very varied. Um, I, I mean, 
And by nature, technically at work, we are sailing on ships, although it's not the same as sailing with sails, we are still sailing. Um, and I'd definitely say the calmest weather that I've experienced is um, on my last posting, actually, I was out in uh, I was out in the Gulf, I was operating in and out of Bahrain quite a bit. Um, so that was quite nice in terms of calm weather. Um, I have also crossed Biscay, uh, the Bay of Biscay, which has been extremely rough. I think I like different types of different parts of the world for different um, sorts of sailing. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, and even the Solent actually, just sailing around the Solent, it's so varied. You've got so many different factors, so many different things to think about. It's a real challenge. So I do actually really enjoy sailing. Sailing around the Solent um, offers lots of different. Um, lots of different things. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So different environments. Yeah, entirely. Yeah. It's really cool. Um and now a completely different environment I can imagine to the zone is like go across the Atlantic. Yes. So coming from the US to back to the UK. Yeah. Is that the traditional route? Because I feel like you kind of have the, the Gulf Stream kind of coming Yeah. Do you, do you well, coming back with you or is it going down or so um it's almost a lot of people would say when you're going from the US back to the UK, you're almost going the wrong way. You're mm, each yes, day gets a little bit colder, a little bit more wet. Um, and you get a lot of northeasterly winds actually coming. Um, once you're past uh, the Azores, you do get a lot of northeasterly winds and you're sort of constantly being beaten. Um, it, va- it varies. It really depends on the weather. Um, but I know that for my transatlantic, we spent a lot of time sort of battening down the hatches and getting very wet, um, fighting against the wind, coming back to the UK. Um, so, I mean, I have the, um, so I've done that obviously once. And then in May this year, uh, we're, the yacht that I'm doing the race on is currently out in the States. Uh, so we're bringing it back to the UK, which actually I've just been asked to plan the passage for, which is really exciting. So I'll be in charge of doing all of that. Um, so again, we'll be doing the pretty much the same route um, via the Azores, and then as part of the race as well. Again, we'll be going back from South America. Um, it's our final stopover port, and then back to the UK. So I feel like it is time for me maybe to do the transatlantic the other way. We'll see. Um, but a lot of experience just going in this direction. I yeah. will have a lot of experience that direction. So it sounds like you're going to be pretty seasoned kind of in the kind of transatlantic crossing. Yeah, um, yeah. So what is that like? I mean, especially, as, so you've done it once at the moment, right? Yeah, the just you know, the once. So what was that kind of, at the time, was that probably your biggest kind of single distance yeah. you've travelled? Yeah, 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 it really was. Um, I, again, with the Tall Ships Youth Trust, uh, we did it on one of the Challenger yachts, 72-foot Challenger yachts, and those boats, nothing is automatic. Everything is manpower, as mm. you know. And so it was it was a lot of work, but it was really, really good work. We weren't racing, so a lot of the time maybe we could have trimmed the sails a little bit better or done this or that. But the overall experience, and there were times where we, we got stuck in the doldrums. We did get stuck for a couple of days actually going backwards. We were drifting backwards uh, with the current. Um, which wasn't great. So, um, yeah, a lot of things kind of come came into that. Um, but that is my only my only experience doing it. I really enjoyed the um, the man part of it. That we had about sixteen people on the yacht, which is quite a lot of people yeah. um, in the watch rotations. But we all got stuck in, and um, 
it offered a lot of challenges. But at the end, I was actually quite happy to turn around and go straight back, which I think a lot of people either really enjoyed that trip uh, and a lot of people equally really didn't. I think that was the end of really, their ocean kind of sailing. Like yeah, kind of moment, absolutely. Hate. Yeah, exactly. Um, fortunately for me, I was in that that first group the of people. Of, yeah. yeah, which is good. Yeah, <laughs> lovers, which is hate, obviously is why I uh, I am doing this challenge now. Yeah. Gosh. So um, a little bit about watch rotation. Um, so would you? So how would it work? Would you kind of be called up at like two in the morning and kind of have to keep yeah. watch for a couple of hours? How? What, what was that yeah. like? Kind of quite a fractured so, sleep pattern you must have. Yeah, <laughs> on that transatlantic specifically, um, we. We did a little bit differently. So during the day, we'd do a six-hour watch. Um, and then overnight, it would be broken into three watches. So you'd do uh, four-hour watches. And that meant that it was sort of a two-day cycle. So you'd either get a morning watch and then two night watches or an afternoon watch and then one night watch. So you're up at all different times of the day um, and night, um, which is it is challenging. And I think... When you experience bad weather, a lot of the time it's really difficult to get sleep, but it's not just you struggling to get sleep, it's the rest of your teammates, the rest of your crew are struggling to get sleep as well. So then you really have to pull together as a team, otherwise uh, it can fall apart a little bit. But um, I actually really enjoy, I really like the watch rotations. And for work now, I'm in a watch rotation. It's the same with being keeping a watch on the bridge. Um, I'll be up at all times of the day. It depends what watch I'm on. Um, but no, it's it's a challenge, but it's good. Yeah. I, I quite like that. Yeah, yeah. Two, two night watches. So would it be would yeah. that be from like 10 till 2 and then you'd be up again at like, I don't know, like 6 till... Yes, yeah, so we would start um, from 7pm. So it'd be 7pm um, going on for four hours and then that middle period of night... 11 p.m. until 3 there'd be another the next watch would come on and then yeah. you'd be back on at 3 until right. 7 yeah. and then it starts over you do your 6 hours and then in the morning 6 hours until 7 p.m. again yeah. and then back into the oh I see the, the cycle yeah the yeah. Cycle. Yeah, yeah yeah totally yeah. Um, gosh, gosh, gosh so what were the kind of I mean I've heard so many stories you kind of see huge kind of pieces of artwork that have like massive waves that are kind yeah. of to represent the Atlantic yeah um are they quite realistic kind of seeing these huge yes. giant waves what's yeah, that, yeah. What's that experience like um it's well it's definitely um eye-opening um <laughs> eye-opening when you can no longer see the horizon um that is definitely something i would say i've seen fairly huge waves i think the biggest waves i've seen from a yacht's perspective is about four meters which is still pretty big when you're so low down um and you still have control over the yacht, of course, but you're moving a lot with those waves, keeping a heading, especially depending on where the wind is. Um, we did have an incident where we um, were pretty much dead downwind. We had the boom all the way out and trying to maintain heading was really difficult. Um, and yeah, we did have an incident where the boom came flying across in the middle of the night, which is a little bit uh, scary for when you can't see anything, when you can just hear what's going on, oh, um, making sure everyone's okay. Um, but I, I think it's actually, I enjoy that sort of sailing where it's a little bit hairy rather than sort of being stuck in the doldrums going nowhere. Yeah, um, I've experienced more, I've experienced heavier conditions actually at work, but 
on ship, it feels very different. It rolls a little bit. It's a mm. slow roll, which feels odd from when you're inside the ship because it's like you're in a building, but suddenly the building's moving. It's a bit disorientating. Yeah. Um, but when you're up on the bridge and you look out, the waves, you can tell that they're fairly big, but you just... Doesn't really, you just really, not, it doesn't really have that effect of, yeah, kind of like roller coaster no, kind of perspective. Where no, it's really, exactly. <laughs> you're nice and sheltered. You've mm. got your coffee on the bridge. Yeah, definitely. Nice yeah, snug. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, my goodness me. So uh, your passage planning, right? Yes. Um, the next kind of voyage across from America yeah. back to the UK. Um, so... Uh, I appreciate if you haven't maybe started yet, but can you what 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 kind of feature in a typical passage plan yeah. of that kind of distance? So passage planning, there's so much that goes into passage planning, and um, everyone I think everyone does it slightly differently. I think yachties typically um, do it slightly differently to how we do it on ship as much. Maybe there's a very specific structure that you follow. We call it APEM, which is your appraisal, your planning, your execution, and your monitoring. Uh, there's so for the appraisal, which is kind of the stage which I'll, I'm just about to start, um, there are so many nautical publications, so much information out there that you have to gather um, relating to the environment that you're in, the port, even just radio channels. You've got to figure out your tides. Um, you've got, yeah, there's a lot of information that you've got to gather before you even sort of put pen to paper and start figuring out um, exactly timings of things and where you want to be by what time. You've got to get all the information about the area. Um, and then you can look at, okay, well, we want to be at this place by that, this time. Do we have enough fuel? Well, does the boat go fast enough? Is the engine going to get us there fast enough? Or is this, um, can we get there quick enough under sail? Um, so there's a lot of huge amount of planning that goes into doing, yeah, executing a passage i think yeah sorting that all it's out. quite a quite a big piece of work yeah, yeah requires yeah. you know the utmost kind of amount of attention I really yeah and so now i completely completely understand um <laughs> totally mm-hmm. so i mean kind of returning back to the race um so what kind of would your um is there a passage plan for that as well, well where would you kind of what where do you expect to go really where's yeah. the first kind of port of call and what's well, your route really across the yeah road? so our first stop is going to be in cape town so we'll sail um, the start point, start and finish uh, port hasn't been confirmed yet. So I'm not going to talk too much about that, but it will be starting in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then our first stop will be in Cape Town. And then shortly after leaving Cape Town, we'll be rounding Cape of Good Hope, which is really exciting. It's quite a big thing for any any sailor to be doing, uh, going quite inshore, obviously, we'll just be leaving Cape Town. Um, and our next stop will be in Auckland in New Zealand. So um, that's big obviously, distance. yeah, big distance. It's about 8,500 miles through the it's Southern Ocean. Yeah, it's, yeah. So, it's that one leg from there. To yeah, there. it's yeah. one leg, um, which is pretty mammoth. It'll take, I think, just short of two months, um, there or thereabouts. And, of course, yeah, Southern Ocean, that's going to be a big challenge. I've not sailed the Southern Ocean yet. Um, especially, obviously, without GPS, we're going to have to be navigating um, via the sun, the stars, planets, which is something I'm fortunate I have quite a bit of experience in through work. Um, but all my experience is, again, from a ship where it's a nice, fairly stable platform. You've got a nice horizon. You can do your sights and work it all out, whereas on a yacht, it will be very different. Yeah, yes. yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then our final stop will be in Uruguay in Punta Este. I think you say it, not get a Spanish. <laughs> um, which 
will be the last stop before heading back to Europe. Um, so yes, down down the west coast of Africa, stop in South Africa, cross um, the Southern Ocean, and then round the Cape of Good Hope, mm-hmm. which again is another huge thing for uh, a sailor, for a seafarer, and to be doing, um, to be rounding, sorry, Cape Horn, um, to be rounding Cape Horn just with celestial navigation is going to be really uh, exciting. Yeah, Very exciting. Experience. Yeah. Totally. Uh, and then up. So, yes. Wow. It's uh, wow, it's quite, quite an adventure it's going to yeah. be. So yeah, is yeah. there kind of a limit on the kind of boat size you're allowed to or the crew number or what kind of are the um, T's and C's, if that makes sense? Yeah. So there's three different classes that are um, forming the race. I'm in... The adventure class. I think we're the smaller yachts. I'm not entirely sure what the limitations are, but I know that um, we've got a Baltic 55, so actually smaller than um, what you what we did our Duke of Edinburgh oh, wow. expedition okay, on. Yeah, yeah. Challenger. yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so there's about 10 people on my on my crew. Um, the bulk of the team are doing the whole doing the whole race but there are a couple of people that are just doing sort of leg two and then one person's just doing leg three yeah um so there is i think there's a couple of other there's a couple of legs where there's potentially a spot if someone wanted to come on but the bulk of the team there's about 10 of us um right of oh, us so can people kind of um swap yeah swap out if that yeah there's restrictions on the exact number yeah. uh can do that they do want the majority of people to do the full yeah, the full challenge yeah totally. yeah so, so is that yeah. the traditional kind of way going, I suppose? East, yeah. Eastwards, yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. follow it, follow it round. Um, it's more, there's quite, well, I'm assuming um, it's because of this, there's quite a big current in the Southern Ocean that is um, eastbound. So if mm. you're going against that, that's going to take it's quite some time. It's a long time. Of time, it's a long yeah, distance. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. tough to work with. Yeah, yeah right. as well as a few other factors there too. Um, oh, gosh. So. That is okay. so exciting. Oh, wow. Um, India, I've got a couple of questions for you. We're probably starting to run out of time a little bit. But um, what's your kind of after? I mean, this is a huge adventure coming up. Yeah. Um, but after when you say um, you've completed, uh, probably probably wouldn't be too much longer. When would it be? Probably May next year, do you reckon? Yeah, about April, May next April, year. April, May next year. What would you say after, I mean, kind of looking at that point in time, what would your next big adventure, would, would you yeah. hope for that to be? I ha- honestly, at the moment, I haven't given it too much thought. I know I'm on hoping, <laughs> yeah, I am hoping that this opens up so many more doors to do other similar adventures. Um, just need to work out what that is. I will hopefully be going back, obviously, to work within the Royal Fleet Auxiliary and uh, continuing my career a little bit there. Um but there'll definitely be some flexibility because there are many, many other challenges that I want to do. I'm quite keen on doing uh, the Taliska Ocean Rowing Race, actually, which uh, is a 3,000-mile row across the Atlantic, um, which I've wanted to do for quite a while, actually. And so that's definitely on the cards uh, for down the line. Is that all That's all manpower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Destroys your hands. <laughs> yeah, but, um... <laughs> I guess it's a good way to kind of keep in shape, I suppose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The before and after photos are scary. Yeah, oh, actually. Can yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crikey, um, yeah. Um, and I think probably finally from me, uh, India. So we've got um, obviously kind of keeping it to Bryanston, coming back here a yeah. little bit. What would you say through your kind of huge, diverse experience um, in the kind of sailing industry? What would your um, kind of top tip or kind of like your key piece of advice be for students here at Bryanston? Yeah, I think what Bryanston really taught me is that um, 
I was because I was allowed to do so many things and the, obviously the tutoring system worked phenomenally uh, for my point of view in that my tutor was uh, a, enabled me to do so many different things I really did pile my place up high but it taught me that I can do so many different things and keep it all together and there were times where I thought maybe this is too much maybe I need to kind of cut back but I did manage to get through it and that really gave me a confidence that I know that anything I face in life I can really throw myself at it and as long as I know I'm throwing myself at it there's a good chance I'll be able to succeed at that so I think my best advice is just take on that challenge. Just go for give it. it go. Yeah, yeah, give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? And you'll get people that if you have confidence in yourself and you back yourself, you're going to have people that back you and that are going to want to help you along the way. So that's really, for me, Bryanston helped me with that confidence, with that just go and attack the world and then uh, it will it will give you challenges and, yeah, you'll be prepared to face them. So, oh, amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much, India. It's great to kind of have you here in the studio with us today. And Thank great you for having me. What an, an amazing kind of event you've got and what an event you've got coming up as yeah. well. So thank you so much for kind of delving all into that. Um, thank you for all of those who've, you, uh, who've been listening to the show here this morning. Uh, and it should be out this afternoon for you all to listen to as well in our regular slot. And uh, yeah, again, all from me to say really is um, see you next week. And thank you so much to India for coming in and uh, see you all very soon. Thank you very <laughs> thank much, you. India. Thank you. Thank you. Probably the best school radio station in the world. This is Bry Radio.